Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. Today, we're here with Tristan Ikaika. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to hear about the Shark Tank experience. I've always been really fascinated about that. That was like, I, you know, I've watched it for years and years and years, and I've always wondered what the like behind the scenes is like. Yeah. Forbes Entrepreneur and all sorts of <laughs> yeah. cool stuff you that's going on. You guys are nice. I need to come here more often. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about it, man. Well, so. and then today's theme is rings, because Tristan is all about rings, right? Yes. All days. I can't, so cool. I can't wait to hear the story behind the rings going to be exciting. So uh, to start off with, let's do a 30-second elevator pitch on what you're working on. Yeah, my name is Tristan Ikaika. I own a ring brand called Ikaika. Um, right now, we're kind of working on just, you know, projecting like we're in like summer of next year is kind of what we're working on now. Um, a couple other projects and partnerships that I'm really excited about, but haven't released them just yet. But I'm Ooh, top secret. To yeah, very top secret. <laughs> I'd tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Yeah. Can't hear it here on Midnight Founders Podcast. Not yet. <laughs> yep. Nope. Don't get the exclusive. <laughs> okay. So it's custom rings. Yeah. So it started out with like spoon rings. I'd been making rings since I was like 12. I saw a family friend who had one and I was like, oh, that's really cool. My dad was like, oh, you know, we could make that right. We went in the garage, you know, beat the crap out of one of my mom's spoons, turned it into rings. I ended up wearing those for years until one day I was kind of doing the Instagram game and someone had commented like, does anyone know where he gets his rings? I was so broke. I was like, okay, I'll sell them. The people who want them can get them. That night I made like three or four grand. I was 19, like fresh out of high school. My parents were both like going through health issues. And I was like, that is more money than I've ever seen in my whole life. How <laughs> many rings is that? Three or 4,000 of rings. It is was that? like a hundred and something rings. Wow. But I was like, hey, let's see like how long we can ride this wave. And then, you know, it evolved into traveling and this drop model and, you know, six years later, which is crazy to me, but we're still riding the wave and still having fun. And I love it every day. Well, not every day, but majority of days, <laughs> you guys know how it is. Yeah. What, um, Tristan, I know that, I mean, anyone that's been on Instagram has seen something that you've produced as far as content goes. So how did you learn and understand and and really dial that in to to understand how to promote your product on instagram yeah when i started doing instagram i guess you would say it was kind of when like travel photography was hot like i went on a trip in like february of my senior year i saved every penny we like hustled our asses off to get there and it was the most magical feeling and i wanted to experience that again and again and when the rings came along i had a following of maybe 16,000 people, which isn't crazy, but at the time it was, you know, it wasn't nothing and they were very loyal. And I was kind of in a spot where you saw people on social media making money in all different ways. And it was very new still. Like some people were doing brand deals, you know, selling like fit tummy tea and like all this like stuff that I viewed as like selling out. And so to me, something that was more valuable was like building trust. I really used Instagram stories as a way to like build that trust in a relationship and showing people behind the scenes and crazy things that were happening in my life. And I think that like connection to people, I would much rather have 5,000 followers who were super invested in what I was doing than a million who like didn't even care. And so I decided I was going to use social media as a tool to gain like 
a loyal community of people who, if I shared myself authentically and like the rings were kind of just an extension of me, um, that I believe people would respond to that. And when I started my business, that proved itself to be true. And I decided like, rather than, you know, chasing all these brand deals and all these other things, which I do think there's ways to do it authentically, but I just chose the route of like pouring all my effort into making those people my customers. And I'm so grateful I did because it's played out super well for me. Cool. So you went with a strategy of authenticity and you felt like ads were like, man, they're just selling out. They're just, you know, going the the easy route and it didn't feel as real. Yeah. And I think always through my journey, building my business, I've paid attention to what I respond to as a consumer. Like when stuff feels spammy or stuff, I'm so turned off when it feels like authentic and like people who I look up to are like in the know about cool products or cool brands. I'm like, wait, 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 what is this? Um, I think no one likes to be sold to and, but everyone loves to buy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, But it's, it's gotta be like subconscious, you know, you gotta make people want it without realizing they want it, which is super tricky to do. But yeah. Yeah. That's the approach. How did you, uh, what, what advice would you give to other companies that, are trying to find that authentic voice. Cause it, like you said, it's tricky and it's not, sometimes it's not natural. You can't yeah. go into sales mode or kind of marketing mode. Right. Yeah. So how do you do that? You know, as an entrepreneur, my advice would be you have to yourself really believe in what you're doing or have a story that's interesting or enticing or something that's different because everyone likes a story that's real. Like if it's just fake and a flash in the pan, it's not interesting. But if you tell me like, Oh, you were going to get your product. And then this, big thing happened that stopped you from getting there. It's like a hero's journey. It's like the same plot every movie follows. I'm reading this book right now called um, Building a Story Brand, and it talks about this, and you start seeing it in brands and in advertising, and you're like, oh, yeah, that does work. But I think if you yourself find it interesting, you can communicate that to other people way easier than like, like I always think about summer sales because – I could never do it. Like if you told me to go door to door, I could not do it. Like, Why not? I just don't believe in, you know, the products enough, whatever. But like if it was like TSA pre-check, I could sell that door to door to anybody. Like, you know, it's <laughs> got to be something that like you really believe in. <laughs> something that you love like crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, um, I mean, that for those that have followed your journey, which sounds like you had a pretty good following even before you launched your products, right? Which is yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, they've seen, you know, boxes piled high and, and mm-hmm. you know, the garage or the, st- or the studio space. And they've seen all sorts of fun things that you've been doing with, you know, the sharks on the shark tank and everything. Yeah. What what would you say was the moment that really defined I um, you and your business? Yeah. And, and you realize, wow, this is a thing. We're doing this. Yeah, I think there's been like multiple moments. The first one was obviously the first drop that blew my mind. I was like, okay, we'll do this again next week and next week. And then that evolved into like, I think this can fund my travels. I'll do this once a month, go on a trip, collect spoons, come home, do a drop. The community will name the rings. The marketing will all be like based off inside jokes from the trip. It was all built very closely to my life, which at the time was a pro. Now it like kind of gives me anxiety, but that's why you evolve, you know? Um, Sorry, what was the question again? Just what was the moment, you know, like when when you're like, wow, this is it. We've got this thing. Um, I think another one was like six months in, I had done a trip to Iceland um, and I had found this spoon. It was like a rose. There was like a silver one and a gold one. And 
I knew it would sell well, but my problems like up until then were I could find a really beautiful spoon and a hundred people would want it. And I could only sell two because I only had two of those designs. Um, but these spoons I found a ton of. So I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a bunch cause I think it'll be like a winner. And I remember I spent like three grand on them, which they were very cheap, like $3 a spoon maybe. What, what was that like when you're going to that vendor of the spoons and you're like, I want to buy $3,000 oh, worth of I look crazy, but it was like <laughs> my like, favorite who thing. Are you? Like, I love I these always spoons take so videos. much. I need yeah. every single one that exists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was the best thing. And like at airports too, they're always like pulling me aside. They're like, why do you have these? I'm like, just let me through, please. <laughs> um, There's your TSA pre-check. You got exactly, right? yeah. And I remember that drop so nervous because – you know, like bootstrapping, especially when your back has kind of been up against the wall, you're like, if this doesn't go good, the thought to me of losing three grand at the time was like, had my stomach in knots. Um, and that drop, like we like had tripled what we'd ever done before or what I had, it was just me, what I had ever done before. And that really gave me faith. Like, oh, wow, this is, there's really something here. Like that's more money than some people make in a year that I just made in two hours, you know, like it was so humbling, so overwhelming. And that really gave me like faith that I could keep going. And then the last moment that I think of that was kind of early in the journey was when I did my press boxes, they had like dry ice. I don't know if you've seen those at all, but I had worked for probably close to a year on making those like tell the audience a little bit what that was. like. Yeah. So we had a press box that, um, it was like this big box, maybe like one foot by a foot and a half foot tall. And it was a big styrofoam box. You open it up. It had the person's name on it. Um, and, and then it's all media for the influencers. Yes, right? yes. To post on their stories. Yeah. And then they open it up and there's rings and like all this like steam fog from the dry ice. Um, and what my intention was with those is I had seen Kim Kardashian do a press box with like these chocolate hearts and you had a hammer and like you cracked open the hearts and it had this like fragrance inside. And I remember like watching everyone's stories just to see the unboxing of the press box. Like I didn't care about the product. And this was before like <laughs> press boxes were, she was the only person this I like, new, recalled right? doing it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And I had gotten sent like a package of ice cream from a company and I just played with the dry ice the whole time. And I'm like, wait, this would be genius if I could just use this packaging before my rings. Like it kind of makes no sense. And that's why it's so remarkable, I think. And I also knew that I couldn't afford these big like prices that influencers were charging. But if I could just get it into their hands and it was cool enough that they wouldn't not post it, that would be a huge win for me. Like it, I, we also like put their name on the box and like everyone's obsessed with themselves, especially in kind of that industry. So and it wasn't you just get this really it was cool like box or something, right? Yeah, it was it was vinyl letters. Vinyl but, letters, yeah. You know, they get this and it's such a moment that I knew like if it happens once people always record stuff like that. Like you think of like birthday candles, everyone like pulls out their camera. Cause it's like a moment that's gone, which why do like, when do we ever watch those videos? Never. Like I saw this meme and it was yeah. like, Hey bro, can you pull up the video of the fireworks from 4th of July, 2019? It's like, <laughs> why do we get our phones out to film that stuff? Yeah. You know, but we you do. can't even find it. You have to scroll forever. Totally. <laughs> and so that was why I wanted to make that press box to begin with. And I just didn't know manufacturing. I didn't know sourcing. So I was just like a 19 year old kid, like running into different dead ends, like trying to figure this out. 
when I eventually figured it out, it was right before black Friday and I had shipped it out to all these influencers and that just like everyone posting it gave this like really good community feeling. Everyone was excited about the product. I feel like it was like a huge stamp of like validity. Like this is legit. This brand is doing cool things. It was something that I think propelled my brand in ways that I couldn't have done otherwise. I think it's a huge reason I got on Shark Tank. Like, So Shark Tank came after that? Yeah, yeah, that was after that. Man, that's incredible. But that was another moment that I was like, wow, this is, this is, things could be different after this. Did you see a huge jump after like that push? Did For you, sure. You saw like oh, yeah. more website traffic, yeah. more sales, all that stuff? Yeah, and even like from that point on, it was just like, Every time I'd run into people, they're like, oh, you're the guy with the driest boxes. I was like, yes, that was me. Like, I had a space in people's head. That's cool. So so that was your full growth strategy is just getting the attention of the influencers so that they would then promote it and that would really get more sales coming in, right? Totally, yeah. So what was the biggest influencer or the most name brand influencer that, that jumped on this train? Yeah, it's funny because at the time, I don't know if there's any names that people would like recognize like household names, you know, sort of things. But they were friends with, you know, 8 million followers who posted. But like I was kind of saying to you guys, it's interesting how some people with 8 million followers can't move the needle. And some people with 5,000 followers, like, break your needle. It's not like it's not always apples to apples. It's the quality of their followers. Totally, yeah. It goes back to the authenticity yeah. you talked about, right? and how engaged they are. And, yeah. you know, some people who are always posting brand deals, when they see, see another one, they're like, next. But then people who never post it's like wait 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 what is this thing they're posting it's about must be really cool because they never talk about it yeah and my strategy even in like going through a pr list when i was creating it is i just went through everyone i was following and anyone who i felt like i looked up to or like represented the brand good if it was someone i met at a cafe one time or a friend who i thought had cool style or the owner of a company that i looked up to they didn't have to have 10 million followers like some of them had a thousand followers like nothing but the network of those people is something that I respected. And so that's why I wanted to get it into their hands. And it's a strategy I'd recommend to a lot of people. Cool. It's kind of cool. So <clears throat> I know you said the first ring you made, mm-hmm. like you uh, spent a ton of time in your garage with your dad yeah. trying to make it. Obviously your process is a little more refined now. Totally. Are you still doing mainly spoon rings or have you kind of branched out and you're doing a ton of different things? No, now? we've kind of stopped spoon rings completely about, I don't even know when, maybe two years ago. It was so fun, but it was getting to a point where I was bending like thousands of spoon rings. You were still doing it by hand? Yeah, and I couldn't. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Something in me couldn't give it up, which in hindsight, I totally should have. But I was like, no, people are buying it because it's me. Like, I have to be the one. You're the spoon ring Making these, yeah. Like, I'm the ring king, as people say, whatever. How many hours a day was that? Okay, we got to a system where, like, I could crank one out every, like, 30 seconds. I mean, we had people helping with parts of the process, like, cutting, grinding, bending. Well, I was doing all the bending, but, like, packaging, you know. I kind of miss those days. Kind of an assembly line. Yeah, and I would just, like, crank and, like, bend all these rings. My hand would be, like, blisters and bruises. (laughs) But I loved it so much, and I was, like, pouring my heart and soul into these products, and I think that's why I thought people loved them. And then... I wanted to design rings of my own. I just wanted to try it and challenge myself. And this was kind of around like COVID time because I couldn't travel anymore. So I like dove into like designing rings, manufacturing them. And I ended up falling in love with being able to take something I was going through or things in my life that were inspiring me and turning that into like a very cool ring design. And then we have a factory in uh, Vietnam and Mexico that make everything now. So 
Now it's not the spoon rings because I didn't see that as being scalable. But with the factory, I think the emotion is still there, but a lot more. So you need to do a limited edition and drop at some point. We're like actually doing one on ring. Sunday of spoon rings because oh, we really? just had like our six year anniversary. And so everyone's Whoa. like, oh, I'll bring this back. I was like, okay, <laughs> we're doing it. They're going to come like yeah. 15 minutes. Let's just yeah, the audience where to find them. That's price great. is a little higher now because <laughs> we never do them, but. That'll be cool. Yeah. Now you're an artist. I think it's so cool Thank that you. you've kind of gone from like, just, I'm going to just make a spoon ring to like, yeah. now you're designing rings and, you know, yeah. Cause I think the whole the like customer you, experience too. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. And Thank for you. those listening, you can't see Tristan, but his, he's got some really cool rings on his hand right now. He's sporting the product right now. It's awesome. Yeah. Well done. Well then, um, okay. So then you started designing rings during COVID. Yeah. And so, what was that journey like? Because that was a little different skill set than just getting spoons and bending them, right? Totally. I'm sure, you had to learn a lot of things with that, right? Yeah, I had actually gone to China with my friend Colby Bauer, who owns a company called Thread. Shout Thread out to Rolling. Colby. We love. He's that the guy. best. He's the reason I have anything I have. <laughs> and I had met a person who does their supply chain. It's like a third party company. And so when I started looking for suppliers, they're like, Hey, I think like we could really help you out if you ever wanted to chat. And so I started chatting with them and I have to say at the beginning, that relationship was very tumultuous. Um, we kind of wanted to rip each other's heads off at times. <laughs> well, I don't know if the feeling was mutual, but I definitely wanted to rip their head off. <laughs> I think supply chain is just tricky. And how we would always talk about it is it's like trying to change a tire on the freeway. Like, I had all these customers and all these drops, like I was selling a ton of rings, but I was trying to create a product while still like keeping the business going. And so we didn't have like six months of headway to get the quality dialed. So those first few months was like very, very much learning. And I'm so grateful for customers who were like understanding of that. And I think like there was one instance like is tr literally triggering for me to even talk about, but we had done these heart rings and like, I knew they were going to crush it. They like left a little imprint of a heart on your finger. Like I just knew they were going to do really well. And we did a silver one and a gold one. And I was about to go to Mexico like a week before they dropped. And so I was like, I need these samples here. And they told me they'd be there. They told me they'd be there. They weren't there. Finally, we like get someone to like fly them on a plane to get to me, like before I'm headed up to the airport, he brings them to me. It's one of the four rings. I'm like, are you kidding? So I like go to Mexico. They have someone from the factory, like fly to the resort I was staying at, like drive two hours on a dirt road. They get there. It's the same ring that I already had. And I was like, <laughs> like, we're like moving mountains for nothing. Like what is going on? The they waste. finally shoot these rings. <laughs> They do super well. They sell out super fast and they get into everyone's hands and I'm getting emails like, oh, this ring is like tarnishing really fast. And I was like, what the heck? So I messaged the supply chain guys and they're like, okay, what happened was there was like 10 rings that didn't make it to the e-coders. So like the gold plating is falling off, but you shouldn't get more than 10 emails. You get like 30 emails. So I'm like, okay, like post on my Instagram story. Hey, this has happened. If this is going on with your ring, please let us know because as embarrassing as it is, like what's worse to me is someone getting a ring and having a bad experience and then telling and everyone or never buying you. again. Like I think people become more loyal when they're a part of like the problem solving process than like you just trying to like brush it under the rug. And so I posted on my story. I was like, Hey, this has happened. If anyone has an issue, like, please let us know. We want to get you taken care of. I get like a thousand emails. I'm like, okay, at this point it's everyone's ring. And I was like pissed. I'm oh, like, no. not only is this 
the money of what's happened, but it's also like my reputation, which is the biggest damage here of your brand. Yeah. Yeah. Like not just the cost to figure things out, to fix this. Like it was so frustrating. And so figuring out things like that and like, I think what was happening was the factory wasn't communicating correctly to the supply chain people who then would, you know, forward that information to me. But then I felt like I couldn't trust what these people were telling me. And how do you have a relationship when there's no trust? I I don't, I don't think it's possible. And so over time, you know, we've figured out those kinks, but like those early days, it was a lot of lost sleep, a lot of like, you know, spiraling mentally thinking about, what I was in for, but you just got to push through and be open. And I think people are understanding. What did you do to fix the problem with all those customers? Yeah. We're like, I sent replacements out to every single person and you got ones that actually got coded and totally. Yeah. And it's, you know, people are waiting. People don't want to wait for stuff. Like I made other people cover the cost because I'm like, this is absolutely not okay with me. And I'm grateful for people who, you know, were willing to do that, but good for you. I changed it's tricky. Oftentimes I figure out from talking to other people. Good for you for getting ahead of it. I thank you. It reminds me of the, um, <clears throat> I can't remember the exact name of the strategy, but, um, you know, the famous case with that is Tylenol, right? When they oh, had, I don't know about this. Yeah, this was, I can't remember right? late, maybe mid two thousands. I'd have to look up the year, but, um, one of a few of their bottles had actually been laced with cyanide. Oh gosh. And people were, uh, getting super sick, and I think they even had a couple of deaths. This was a huge case study. And instead of Tylenol saying, no, it's not a big deal, you know, don't worry about it. That was just a few, you know, people and paying out those people. They said, hold on, recall all the bottles around the world, bring them back in, cost them millions. And then they said, let's figure out this problem. And that's where we get the, um, you know, on all the bottles now, they have the shrink wrap on top and says, if the seal is broken, do not buy. Yeah. That's where that came from. That's interesting. Because they wanted to make sure that that could never happen again. And it was a huge, everyone thought, oh, this is going to be a huge blunder for Tylenol. Nope. They actually took off and their sales have never been better since. Yeah. And that's because they got ahead of it like you did and said, hey, there's a problem. We own it. We're sorry. Let's fix it. Yeah. And they were very public with that. Yeah. So I think it's a way better route to own the narrative and be ahead of it than to let people own it for you. Well, and I think it just goes back to the fact that you're like really focused on your community that you're building mm-hmm. and like your brand is now your community. Totally. And so you were taking really good care of them and you were putting them first. So yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. Thank uh, you. Okay. Where does Shark Tank come in? I have to hear the Shark Tank. Story. Yeah. Shark Tank was the craziest so thing So then there's I've Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a full-time job, even before, like trying to get on that show. I had gone to an open casting call in Vegas, like in January. This was... 2020 is the day after my mom's birthday. I remember it like it was yesterday and you're in this ballroom and there's like hundreds of people and there's a bunch of casting people and you have a minute to like pitch your product to them. And so my thing when I walked up to him was like, you know, you're waiting all day and you're very nervous. It's like, how am I ever going to make it? Like there's so many people here and this isn't even everyone. I think they get like 30 to 40,000 applicants and like a hundred people end up on the show, but it's not just like the biggest, greatest business. It's got to be interesting, a good story. Like it's got to have all the pieces entertaining. Totally. And I knew like at the end of the day, Shark Tank is a show that's like promoting the American dream. So like the more I can pitch myself to this guy is like, I'm a good fit for that. I think that's might get me there. So I remember I walked up to him and I'm like, I had a spoon. I was like, what if I told you I 
took a spoon and turned it into almost a million dollars. I had like almost a million dollars in sales at that time. And he was like, looked at me like I was crazy. And then I like opened my press box with all the dry ice and I had the rings in it. And I knew if I just like threw rings down on the table, it'd be like, okay, cool next. But I had this box and the guy was like fascinated by it. Like you could see in the video, he like takes off his glasses. He's like, what is going on here? Like, this is so cool. And like, I was telling him the whole story of the drops and it sells out fast. And like, I have a really awesome community and he was so interested in it. And I eventually started getting callbacks and you know, there's so many rounds where like people just get cut and cut and cut. Um, anyways, that summer of 2020, it was like peak COVID. I was, you know, doing everything to prepare for the show, um, getting a display, a pitch, also trying to get my business in like a most legit place ever. So I don't get torn apart on national TV. Like that's (laughs) so embarrassing. And right before I had a flight to go to Vegas, I tested positive for COVID and I couldn't go. Oh no. And I was like distraught like it was the worst thing that ever like i was so sad i had poured everything into that and i ended up getting in the process again the next year and ended up filming in july of 21 i think and then the episode aired january of 22 and walking into the shark tank was like the scariest thing i've ever done in my whole life like that hallway feels so long in person (laughs) and even like worse than that is when i was waiting for the doors to open to walk down the hallway it's like okay just like hang tight and like you'll you know you'll go in the next few minutes and i'm like there's this like guy there who's like i don't know you know making sure everything goes smoothly and i'm like are you guys ever gonna open these doors like you're killing me out here i'm like convinced that they were doing it to make me nervous but Remind me, was there it just no, you or were you with someone too? It was just me. Just you. And like okay. that whole, like even like getting there is a whole crazy process. Like you wake up super early, like, you know, they have trailers and people micing you up and a huge production crew of 50 people off to your side. And it's so nerve wracking. I was more afraid of like, not afraid, but in my mind, I want to look good on TV, you know, like if they make you look stupid, you kind of look stupid. It's like the premise (laughs) of the show, you know, American Idol, you go on, they say you're a bad singer, you're a bad singer. You go on, they say you're a good singer, you're a good singer. So it's like, I have to impress these people, but also be conscious of how it could be perceived, perceived, you know, to an audience. You wanted to protect the brand. Yeah. And it's like Mark Cuban basically invented the internet. And I'm like, oh, Mark, I bend spoons. Like, I'm like, (laughs) I remember walking down there thinking like, I'm the joke. Like I'm the person who is here just for like entertainment. You so know? you're like, self-doubting get annihilated. Yeah. And then in there, it like felt like I was floating. Um, like Damon has said that pitches last like close to an hour, which I can't say like exactly how long I was in there, but that's what he said. And I'm a pretty average guy, I guess you could say, but it was so nerve wracking and full circle moment and exciting and all the emotions in once. Like, it felt like it went by so fast. I ended up getting a deal with Mr. Wonderful. I remember like shaking his hand and then turning around to walk out and internally I just like blacked out. I was like, what just happened? Like I got to the end (laughs) and there's like always an interview when people leave and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just like looking for my mom. I'm like, where am I? Like it was the most out of body experience I've ever had. Wow. Um, but like you said, I've watched that show forever. And even in the early days of building my business, I would just turn that show on like 
I've seen every freaking episode of that show. It really did inspire me. And I think for a lot of young entrepreneurs and the show has like, they know that that's a big part of their demographic. It really inspires like the American dream in them. And so to finally be there pitching a business that the show had inspired me to start was like, it was so full circle. I was so grateful for it. I'm watching it tonight. I can't wait. I'm going to go back. I've seen it parts of it before, but I'm going to go back and check it out again. Cause I can't remember. I haven't seen it, it yet. I'm so pumped. To My watch pitch. It. Yeah. No, I haven't seen the, yeah, the episode. Oh yeah. So Season watch it. 13, episode 12. So they, so they it's film an hour, but they only take just a few pieces. Yeah. Cause there's four segments in each episode. Yeah. So it's like roughly 15 minutes. And yeah. I remember the night of like it airing was so scary. Cause you, you have, have a no watch party or something. Watch. I had a huge watch party. Okay, I cool. that video too. It was like the best night of my life, but watching it so nervous. I had so many supportive people with me. <laughs> it was like such an emotional night. It really was like celebrating what I've built and you know, the community and everything. And I remember just like watching with my family. Like we were all sitting there with like everyone behind me. And I was the, I was the last segment of the episode. And so, you know, you're like seeing the episode air and it like would start a preview. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's starting. And then it's like, oh no, it was just like a glimpse of it. Um, I was super grateful with how it went and watching it was like, I was like, wow, I actually am like pretty smart. You know, like they made me look pretty good. And you know, I think this show does a great job at editing what really happens in the tank. And I was just grateful that it was a great edit, you know, not that they would like skew it. Like I've heard of like some shows like the bachelor or something, people don't even know they're the villain and then they watch it and they're like, what the heck? Like I had no clue. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. So it was very consistent with my experience and I'm very grateful to all the producers and the whole show for everything. And it was a a great journey. So post deal, what yeah. does that look like after you get a deal with Mr. Wonderful? How does that play out? So after the fact? I don't even know how much I'm allowed to say. and I don't want to get in trouble, but um, I didn't end up closing my deal just for certain reasons. I think. I hear anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's not it uncommon, but I'm lot, very yeah. grateful. I think everything that happened was exactly to happen. And I'm super, you know, grateful to still own my whole business. And I think Kevin's been nothing but amazing and kind and, even in the tank, I was so intimidated of him. He could not have been nicer. So engaged, so nice, so interested. I'm like, maybe it's the same. You're thing. my guy. Like, like maybe they just villainize him, and it's all the edits. No, I do think it like <laughs> is played played up a little bit. Like even in the tank, there were jokes that when I was there, I didn't think really landed. I was like, like on mine. He said something to Barbara. He's like, the only reason you got here is because I bought you a broom. And she's like, yeah, and I'll tell you where I'll shove that broom. And in person, I was just like, what is going on? And like, I don't want to say it feels forced, but you're sitting in like a silent, huge room. Like you could hear a pin drop. It's not like you're at a comedy show, you know? And then when you watch it on TV, it's hilarious. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. So it's it's not, I don't think they're necessarily playing characters, but I think to make a show entertaining, you know, you can't just talk like, Normally, I think about that with like YouTubers too, because they're so like animated. What's up, guys? And I'm like, you're crazy. Like, I can't watch this. But then you watch <laughs> someone that's like, yeah, like I'm going to the store today. Uh, I got stuck in traffic. You can't watch like, that either. It's know? not entertaining. It has yeah. to be like, I have to go to the store and I have to get five things in under a minute. Like, are you ready to come with me? Like, you know, you have to have production value there. There we go. That's what we need, AJ. We just need to be more animated. Yeah, more you production. Gotta, like, choose who your <laughs> character is and really play it up. <laughs> yeah. 
well, well, that's hilarious. So they were. So would you say they're as charismatic as they seem, or or a little bit more subdued, or um, some of them? Okay, I won't say which ones, but there was like a few I didn't totally vibe with. Actually, I'll say it. It was Lori. She like asked no questions, and then after two seconds, she was like, "I'm out," and I was like, "Interesting." But I also feel they're there all day. Just oh, shooting yeah. pitch after pitch after pitch. And I think sometimes when they know a business isn't for them, they're like, let's get to the next one, you know? So yeah. they just go out. But Were you towards the end of the day? I don't remember what time I recorded. I think it was like midday. It wasn't too mm. late. Got it. So did you, but I know yeah. I've heard a lot of this, like post Shark Tank, <clears throat> uh, your website's like crashed because you just get inundated. Was that the yeah. case with you? Oh yeah, the night of airing was insane. Like I remember being at the party, that was another like out of body experience. Like it feels like a blur, but someone who works for me came and showed me like our Shopify map. And it was like all these dots, like on the East coast. Cause it was obviously airing, you know, there first. And it was just the coolest thing to see. It's like a like, wave across the country. <laughs> yeah. But the traffic and impressions that night was like crazy. Our text list, our email list, both like doubled. That was super exciting. Sales were great. That's amazing. It was an awesome night. And that's what a lot of people do it for is just, it's incredible exposure. Yeah. You know, if nothing else. Totally. Right? And I also think, Something I didn't realize would come from it, but I understood my business from such like a deeper level, like deeper than I've ever understood it post or prior, I would say for sure prior, but even like after I haven't been that dialed as I was when I went on that show, like I had flashcards of every single number you need to know ever. And I need to get back to that because it was really healthy for me to like look, take a good hard look at my business and say, what do you have here? What do you want with it? Do you understand the numbers, what they mean, how they correlate to each other? And I was not going to be made a fool on TV. And that's I, good. I wasn't. You did your homework. Yeah. Like, I think those are the ones that end up looking dumb or the ones yeah. that don't prepare as well as you did. And I don't know how people don't. you see so unprepared. I physically don't know. Cause it's so much like, it's not like you're filming tomorrow. Like, get out there. Like, I had to create all the props and everything that was going to go up there, you know, the boxes for the sharks. Like, practice my pitch a thousand times. I really don't know how people will get up there and say like, I don't know to a question. Yeah. I'm like, you're crazy. And you're so lucky to be filming right now. Like, how do you drop the ball that hard? Cause they went that far. Yeah. Why wouldn't you go all the distance? You yeah. Know, yeah. The full distance. Mm -hmm. um, Man, this has been so fun. Yeah. That's cool. I love your story. I know. Thank it's you. incredible. It's so cool. So what's next? What are you looking forward to? I mean, what, what, what's, what's how are you going to grow now? Yeah, we have, we're launching into another category that, if you're a big fan of the brand, you know exactly what it is. I get letters in the mail asking for it, but I'll tell I'll tell you guys after. Okay, but it's a secret. it's coming soon. That's something that's really lighting me up right now. Keep watching um, the website and all social media channels. For yes. It, right? um, How do they find on, you on social media if they want to find out more? Social media. My personal Instagram is Tristan Ikaika. The brand is Ikaika Studios trying to drop that studios, but that's it for now. Um, and it's going to drop when this new spring. Okay. So fingers crossed awesome. it's spring. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like really something that's kind of breathing like life into me right now. That's you know, exciting. like six years in, I was like, holy crap, I'm old. I remember starting and seeing brands that were four years old and I'm like, you are washed up and old news. And now I'm like, <laughs> is that me? Like makes me really hard on myself some days, but you're doing better than you think. Yeah. Be grateful for how far you've come. I'm so lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And as long as I'm excited about it, I'll always want to keep doing it. How are you? Because of, you know, the age of your brand, which I think is actually a, 
a credential yeah. to you because then it shows, you know, longevity, right? But yeah. How are you staying relevant? Do you find that's more challenging as time Yeah, goes on? I think social media too is evolving day by day. Like one day this trend is cool, the next you look stupid because that's yesterday's news. I have just really leaned into like building trust with an audience and loyal. I think you see some people who rise super fast who also fall super fast because one thing they haven't built is trust, which comes over time. And so I feel like I have a very great base community who trusts me and really taking care of those people, I think is something that's easy for me to want to build onto. If I didn't have them, it'd be really hard, but you have to start somewhere. So I think my advice to anyone starting out is like, just be genuine, be loyal, like do stuff that's authentic to you and tell that story well. Cool. I think it's cool because uh, it seems like you embody your target customer. And so if you, create something that you would buy, yeah. then your community is also going to be kind of favorable to that. So as long totally. as you stay relevant personally, yeah, then, yeah. I even noticed when I went on Shark Tank, there were some people like in my comments who were like, I don't get it. Like, this is so dumb. Like, yeah. it's a spoon ring. And I'm like, I never claim to invent spoon rings, first off. However, everyone I've seen telling them has copied my brandings, my fonts, my everything. Like, the style of the drops, like it's clear you got this idea from somewhere and you're riding my coattails trying to hop on this train, you know, which is great. I used to be super upset when I saw people copying me and now I'm like, it's hard. Good luck. Like they all quit. And this has been a long time since I've kept track of those people, but it's not an authentic story. And so people don't care you know but oh the shark tank thing what i was saying is people are like i don't get it this is dumb and i had people like defending me like i can say like i've followed tristan for years and bought his rings and i can say like it's not about the rings it's about the story and that made me like almost like emotional to read i'm like yeah you get it and that's what i am trying to build so the fact that that intention has been communicated and you felt it, it means everything to me so what's your biggest piece of advice after all you've learned this journey what would you tell yeah. the entrepreneur to do or not to do? I would say one, no one knows what they're doing. Like it's easy for me to look at people who are further than me, bigger than me, all that stuff and feel intimidated and want to just crawl into a hole. But I found when you peel the curtains back, a lot of businesses are insanely messy on the inside. You know, they don't have any idea what they're doing either. They're just throwing stuff at the wall and certain stuff is sticking. Like there's no one route to building a perfect business. There's great standard and practices that you can follow, but don't be intimidated by just trying to do it and find your dead ends and be resourceful. I think people are very willing to help and give advice. Always put yourself out there. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. So you might as well give yourself a chance and just believe in yourself. You can go way further than you'd ever think. Like if you would have told me even when I, the first few months I started that it would turn into what it's turned into, I'd be like, yeah, right. And now I'm like, wow. I forget because day-to-day life isn't that different. But then, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, I've really come a long ways. And it's super humbling and overwhelming to look back on. That's great advice. I I think Zach Oates said it uh, in last season of the podcast at one of our first episodes. He said the backyard's always on fire. Always. Yeah. So, you know, peel back the curtains and businesses are a mess. Totally. There's always issues that, that nobody, like none of the customers see. We've had companies that started and like, 
they didn't even have a product before they sold their first one. They were like, well, let's just sell it and then we'll build it. Yeah. So like, you never know. No, the know? scrappy hustle, like those are the best stories. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, you have an incredible story. So thank you. I love it. It's been so fun. Uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about on the podcast that you like the floor is yours if you want to say anything else or? Um, I think that's, I'm very that's satisfied with that. Yeah. You did a great job. That was thank so you. Fun to thank get you guys for having me. I'm Good luck for the next happen. chapter. Thank you. You're doing. I'm, I'm excited. excited for the drop in the spring, man. We're going to be watching. Yeah. Later. Yeah. I'm super excited. We're planning a bunch of stuff. It's going to be good. Cool. We'll take care of Tristan. Thanks for joining us on the Midnight Founders Podcast. Thank you. See ya. This has been great. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.